Hey everybody, it's Father Edward Looney, the host of How They Love Mary. May is one of my favorite months because we honor and celebrate the Blessed Virgin Mary. We crown her statues in our churches and we resolve more Marian prayers in our own life. We can honor the Blessed Mother in so many different ways, and my new book, How They Love Mary, explains that. But another way, beside the devotion and the prayers that we pray, that we can honor the Blessed Mother is perhaps by wearing socks that depict the image of the Blessed Virgin Mary. I was so excited to see that Sock Religious has a new Our Lady of Fatima sock that they just released this month. And if you are a big devotee of Fatima, I encourage you to buy a pair of those socks and to wear them proudly during the month of May. They have other Marian socks as well, including Our Lady of Guadalupe, Our Lady of La Leche, and other Marian designs. Head over to Sock Religious by clicking the link in the show notes and get your Marian socks and celebrate the month of May in style. Hello, my name is Father Edward Looney, and you are listening to the podcast, How They Love Mary, a podcast that I hope will either be the beginning or the deepening of your Marian devotion. We continue to grow in our love for the Blessed Mother as we break down my new book, How They Love Mary, lesson by lesson, by talking with guests about those topics. But today, we have a different type of interview for you. Because today we are talking about another common devotion to the Blessed Mother, and I'm willing to bet maybe you've even participated in it already this season, and maybe you'll also have a little garden as well that you'll be planting when the season is right for you, wherever you live. Today we are talking about a garden for Mary, the devotion of May crownings and May flowers and Mary gardens and everything of that sort. There was a book a while back published uh, by a Polish woman named Vicenza, uh, and it was called Mary's Flowers, Gardens, Legends, and Meditations. It was a book for adults, but we know that this is a custom for young people as well. And for our First Communion students, often they will crown statues of the Blessed Mother. And so today I'm speaking with Nina Gaynor, who is going to share about her new children's book with tan books called A Garden for Mary. So thanks so much for joining me and sharing about your new book today. Oh, thank you so much for letting me be here and discuss this devotion. You know, it's just such an exciting time with First Communions, May crownings, and you know, things are finally blooming. We're here in Kentucky, and it, it seems to take forever this year. But, but our ground gardens are popping with color, and you know, I think our hearts are are ready for springtime and and new beginnings. I live in Wisconsin, so we're still hoping for warmer weather. It's been kind of very <laughs> unseasonable for us because it's just been dreary, really, all of April. Lots of rain. There was snow in April. 
Uh, so we're still hoping, you know, for uh, uh, some nice weather. And today, actually, as we record this, it's actually a beautiful day outside. And uh, I was just outside after mass uh, filling my bird feeders. And I just made my first round of hummingbird uh, nectar. Uh, so I'll be putting that out later today, hoping that uh, they have found their way back uh, here to Wisconsin. So it is always a very exciting time uh, of the year, these spring days, the month of May dedicated to the Blessed Mother. And you wrote a children's story called A Garden for Mary. And I'm wondering what inspired you uh, to write this story and how did you become familiar with this concept of A Garden for Mary? Oh, well, you know, I'm a mother of two little boys and we are farmers in Kentucky and it's one of those things that it was a, a slow culmination of events and, and knowledge that just really brought it together. I think I had the um, awareness of Mary Gardens as I was taking a gardening class just through a local extension office, trying to get some more skills and, and make my flowers actually grow. <laughs> but um, I heard someone say Mary's gold instead of marigold. And, you know, it kind of gave me pause and I was thinking, she keeps saying Mary's gold instead of marigold, which is, you know, more common and on a flower label. And then I stopped and asked her and she said, well, I'm Catholic. I like, I like calling it what it is to the blessed mother. And so it made me wonder, you know, is there more, or are there more flowers out there that, you know, are related to the blessed mother? And, and she and I started having a conversation about it and I started looking into it more and more. And, you know, so I'm already out there in the fields and, and planting flowers with my boys and, you know, walking, you know, these nature trails and so forth. We, we homeschool and so we're together a lot. And, you know, I started to research this and, and kind of come up with our own sort of start, you know, a rough start of a merry garden. And, you know, I think we had morning glories. So it was our, our first thing um, that we kind of planted and, and watched kind of vine up the, the side of our home. And, you know, it was a, a slow, beautiful growth of devotion, really, because you would see, you know, the miracle of a seed planted and, and it coming, you know, out of the ground and blooming into something beautiful. And you know, I just think it's a, there are so many connections with gardening and our faith and Jesus and, you know, to watch that, I think, really a, a promise, right? You put a seed in the ground and it's almost like a promise of, of a miracle going to happen most of the time. It's just something that's we've been able to take with our children and kind of show them, you know, just the beauty of this world, the creation that God has made. And, you know, my grandmother, she loved violets, uh, my late grandmother. And so her birthday is in April. And that's about the time when violets start showing up in the fields here in Kentucky. And every time I see a violet, I think of her. And violets are these little short, unassuming flowers, and you, you really don't want them <laughs> if you're, you know, trying to keep your lawn pretty and green. You know, they kind of take over the field. And so, related to the Blessed Mother, they're called Our Lady's Modesty or, or Mary's Modesty. And I just think it's wonderful that now when I see a violet, I think of, yes, I think of my wonderful grandmother, but I also think of Mary and how, you know, her, she doesn't keep the attention to herself. She points to something more. She points to something beyond her. And so, you know, just slowly learning and slowly incorporating just different flowers, uh, just kind of into our like minds vocabulary almost of, you know, Columbine, Mary's shoes. It's Columbine's this little low growing, beautiful blue 
flower and and just to think about oh you know mary and, and mary's path and mary's walking and mary how she walked with jesus and just those things you know we are able to talk about with our kids and wherever we go we just see these beautiful little kind of almost holy reminders you know like the sunsets and, and sunrises and baby giggles and crucifixes above the doors you know these things that god has for us and these things that we've made that kind of draw our minds and hearts to the divine maker of beauty you said that planting a garden, that there's a lot of things that really we could connect to faith. And I think one of the things we remember is the great parables of Jesus. And he has that parable of the, of the seed scattered and sown. And so, you know, that's kind of telling us when we plant seeds that, you know, sometimes they might be eaten up, they might be scorched. We see that happen. I think, too, as we... Uh, plant gardens. And I live in rural Wisconsin. I live right across the street as Church Site Farms from my rectory, uh, a clever name since they're right across from yeah. the street uh, from the Catholic Church. But I think that with farming, it's always kind of this great act of faith that we're saying, I'm planting this seed in the ground. I don't know what's going to happen. We could get a torrential rain that floods it out, or it might not flower. But there's this faith that by doing this, I believe that God who nourishes the earth and sends us sunshine and rain and all of these things is going to allow, allow this seed to become something beautiful, whether it's in the farmer's fields and it becomes corn or soybeans, or if it's a flower that we look at and we say, this reminds me of the Blessed Virgin Mary. And then thirdly, there's this analogous uh, aspect of the seed that we plant seeds of faith. You wrote a children's book, and there's a grandma out there who's listening to this right now who is trying to plant seeds of faith in the life of their grandchildren because their mom and their dad aren't going to church, but she might share with them this book that you wrote a garden for Mary, and that's going to plant a seed for them in their own hearts. Maybe the next time they drive by a statue of Mary outside somewhere, they'll be able to point that out to their parents. But we believe that these small little seeds, that one day they're going to germinate and they're going to become something very beautiful. I think that's absolutely right. You know, I think too often as Catholics, we tend to like kind of overcomplicate the faith. And, you know, as a lay minister of the church and as a mother, I've seen and experienced, you know, firsthand how it can be intimidating to share the faith, you know, especially, you know, I'm a convert. <laughs> so I'm sitting here wondering, you know, what what do I not know? And, um, you know, I think sometimes we haven't seen, you know, even if you're not a convert, maybe you're just coming back and or you never really saw this appropriately modeled in the home. And so where does the parent begin to explain devotion to Mary? And how do we pass on the traditions and the beauty of our faith? And, you know, of course, Absolutely, of course, children need to learn catechetics. But I think, you know, the, se the season that we're in, you know, these days after Easter, you know, sometimes I'm reminded of the Pharisees that knew all this theology, and yet their hearts were far from God. And, you know, my prayer for this book, you know, A Garden for Mary, is that it inspires readers, you know, the families that are sitting together to get outside in creation and to make memories that are good, you know, get out in the dirt and in the sunshine or, you know, even just get a pot of dirt and put it in a window seal, but just be together and, and experience, you know, the trueness of God's holy institution of the family and the gift that that is, because I think it's just a foundational pillar of our faith. And, and it's something that children can, you know, really lean on that is 
true, you know, something that they've experienced and they know is good. And, you know, from then on, I just hope that every flower would be this beautiful reminder of how they're loved so much. And, you know, simply but wonderfully, you know, that God became man and that he saved him through his death and glorious resurrection because, you know, that's our faith. And that these book, um, you know, Gardens for Mary and everything, you know, conversions, it's not just one boom moment a lot of times, you know, for it is for some people, of course, but for a lot of us, it's this ongoing experience of, you know, many moments that made us pause. And I just think, you know, we're so busy. It's such a techie world, which, you know, I'm a, totally a millennial. I think that's awesome. But, you know, it's something that just give us pause and, and make us reflect and make us be still and silent and prayerful. And I think that'll remind us of, you know, God's real deep and beautiful love for us. And it's just hopefully, you know, maybe it's not a conversional point, but maybe it's just one of those moments of pause and stillness. How long have you been planting a merry garden with your children and with your family? I, well, we converted to the Catholic faith in, on All Saints Day, November, well, of course, November 1st, 2017. And so I would say that first spring 2018, you know, I was just on fire for the Catholic faith and we got a raised bed and some some plants and and started for it. But it was just a wonderful experience to see my kids out there, you know, picking out that first Mary statue and and coming together and, and showing them, like you've mentioned, you know, planting the seeds in the ground and and watching, you know, we slowly, it's, it's great to plant sunflower seeds. First off, if anybody wants a, a starter seed, <laughs> sunflower seeds are great because they are a seed they can see and they can see them quickly grow and just to, to the heights, really, because they just get so big and so wonderful. And sunflowers, again, are I'm a writer, so I kind of geek out on these things, but they're a symbol of adoration. And so sunflowers have this property. I told you I was going to geek out. It's called heliotropism, which is the directional growth of a plant in response to the sun. And um, so what I mean is, and what you probably notice is from dawn to dusk, that head of the flower literally turns its face to the sunlight. So all the time, the sunshine is really enabling this plant to grow. And so I love seeing the sunflowers grow and their face constantly to the sun. But I also love seeing them ready for harvest, you know, after you've planted it and it's gotten so big, you know, towards August, September. But this time they're heavy with the fruit of sunflower seeds. And, you know, I have boys, so <laughs> this is a, a great thing for them to latch on to and, you know, spit later everywhere. But, you know, the flower is going to bend its head from the weight of the seeds. And it just really reminds me of an expecting mother, you know, ready to give birth to new life. And so, like I said, sunflowers are this beautiful symbol of adoration that a life focused on the sun, you know, for us, of course, I mean, the, the son of God, S-O-N, Jesus Christ, that it's going to produce a fruitful life and, and life abundant. You know, sunflowers have like hundreds, some, some varieties, maybe a thousand seeds. And, you know, they just happen to be tasty and beautiful. But, you know, for my kids to experience, you know, planting that one little seed and seeing Seeing all of that, <laughs> seeing all of that through, you know, one little seed, it's just an amazing experience for kids. And and to be able to look out your window every day and talk about it, just what an opportunity to, you know, plant seeds of faith and grow. 
And I would say that there's kind of this Marian connection, adoration you mentioned. We think of Mary adoring the Christ child as he was born in Bethlehem, gazing upon him for the very first time. Jesus, who is the light of the world and the sunflower, attracted to the light. But you also said that the sunflower is always looking towards the sun. And so Mary always points us to Jesus, that when we honor Mary, when we love Mary, she's saying, well, I'm showing you the way to Jesus, my son. So that's probably the Marian connection there for the sake of the Mary garden. Yes, that. And it's also called Mary's gold. So uh, what is gold? It's her treasure, right? So it's her, her son, you know, she's always looking to her, her treasure, her, her wonderful, perfect son. So absolutely. There are a lot of connections there that you can draw from my favorite is <laughs> the sunflower. Now, you've mentioned a few of these already. So the violets, the sunflower. Now, we just found out that connection. You mentioned another flower that I'm probably not familiar with, columbine or something like that. But what are some Mm -hmm. other flowers out there uh, that evoke the Blessed Virgin Mary? I'm thinking, of course, maybe lilies signify her purity, just like a lily signifies St. Joseph's purity. But what are a few other flowers that someone might want to plant and be able to think about the Blessed Mother? Well, um, commonly right now that we're seeing kind of everywhere are tulips. Those are Mary's prayer. Um, Daffodils, Mary's star. One that I love to talk about, you know, again, I'm I'm a boy mom here, so I kind of gravitate towards the ones that have um, something that they're going to be interested in. But the iris, you know, an iris is this long, heavy stalked flower, you know, with a usually a, a purple or white or pink. They could, I guess they could be any color um, bloom at the end, but they just the base of them is so strong and so long. They're often called um, Mary's sword of sorrow. And so, mm-hmm. you know, they, they draw us to mind, you know, the sword that pierces Mary's heart and that prophecy. So, you know, that's just a wonderful teaching point. Every time I see those, and you know, they're frequently planted around the edges of churches and cathedrals and so forth. I just love pointing those out to my sons. Um, I've talked about morning glories. Those are Our Lady's mantle. Petunias are Our Lady's praises. And, and petunias, they just, you plant one and they just take off. So I love that. So the, the Our Lady's praises, they just go on and on and on and on. And, um, you know, you can do other plants. You know, they could be herbs. They don't necessarily have to be flowers. You could do basil is called Holy Communion plant. Um, Mary's bed straw was creeping time uh, or, you know, legendary is creeping time. Um, lavender. There's a great story for lavender. It's called Mary's drying plant. And what the story or legend is there is that, you know, lavender was just a, a herb out there that was planted. And then Mary hung baby Jesus's clothes on it to dry. And that's why. Lavender has this wonderful, you know, fragrance to it and why we planned it for that. So there's just all kinds of things that there's our resources online that are just almost inexhaustible of what different things have been related to our Blessed Mother and our faith and Jesus and and legends and stories. But um, I think the University of Dayton has a wonderful library of maybe a thousand, maybe more of herbs and flowers and and trees and shrubs that are related to the Catholic faith, and so that's a, a great place to look if you're if you're wanting a huge list. If you're wanting a little list, uh, the back of a garden for Mary, the the children's picture book, it has you know an illustrated appendix of flowers. 
that, you know, the ones mainly that are mentioned in the book, but also some other pretty common ones and a great place to start, especially for kids and families. Walk us through the story, A Garden for Mary. There's two kids there. The mom says we're going to, we're planting a garden for Mary. And then, you know, you kind of creatively, you bring in the cat, the cat purrs, we're planting a garden for Mary. They're down digging a hole and uh, the earthworm whispers, we're planting a garden for Mary. So I'm sure the story goes on, but what do you communicate all throughout the story of a garden for Mary? Well, you mentioned all the the creatures and and little creepy crawlies <laughs> in the books. Um, again, that probably comes from being a mom of boys. But you know, it's all creation singing. You know, all creation singing the praises of of our Lord and Savior, and of the beauty that God's adorned the world with. You know, so talking about that. But you know, a story, and and you know this, you're a writer. A story's a great. Unless, or it's not great unless you have conflict or a question or a quest. You know, there has to be a dragon to be slayed or, or a mountain to, to conquer. And for this, it's a it's a mystery, right? The little girl wants to know, well, why are we planting this garden for Mary? You know, after they do this, you know, they've got the seeds in the ground and they, it's like a heavenly day; they're all blooming. But uh, the little girl starts asking why, and anybody who's been around a little kid knows knows well that question, well, why, well, why, well, why? And, you know, sometimes just because isn't, isn't going to satisfy a little kid. But, you know, the book really goes into, well, why do we do this? And why do we have this devotion to Mary? And, of course, and it's, you know, as a convert, I had these same questions too, you know, that, well, why do we do this? Why why not just go directly to Jesus and skip all this? And, and is this honoring him? And is it is it bad? You know, I, I didn't know, you know, for so long. And I wanted my boys to know the truth and the goodness of these devotions. And the reason why, spoiler alert, maybe, but the reason why that will satisfy us for all eternity is Jesus, right? The reason we do all this for Mary is for Jesus. And, you know, the illustrator here, Bernadette Gukowski, she is from Wisconsin. And she is just an amazing illustrator um, I think she's a portrait artist as well, but she's got these beautiful images in here that she's painted that just really show a lot of the mysteries of, of the rosary, a lot of the moments, you know, that she walks through the Hail Mary or we walk through the Hail Mary prayer and you show the scriptural significance of the Hail Mary prayer. And, you know, as again, as a convert for me, who was firmly grounded in the Protestant faith, you know, showing me and seeing the biblical significance of the Hail Mary was just, you know, kind of astounding. I had no idea. And so these are the things that I wanted my children to know, my children to just be so familiar with and so comfortable with. And and this is a book that I believe is is one of those comfortable places to to just kind of rest and, and to be, you know, in a garden and with a loving mother and and with Jesus Christ and, and in prayer. It's absolutely a, a work of prayer. Now, when it comes to A Garden for Mary, not only your children's book, but actually planning A Garden for Mary, is the idea that we center it around a statue of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So maybe your family doesn't have one, and you go to your local Catholic store, your bookstore, maybe you go to a nearby shrine. Uh, I live in Wisconsin, very close to the Champion Shrine. They have so many beautiful outdoor statues of Our Lady and, and other saints as well. But 
do we orient the Mary Garden around a statue? Is that ideal? Or do you just plant the garden and it's a reminder of Mary? What's your recommendation? I think you can start anywhere. You know, I think um, just like growing a garden and, you know, we're beekeepers. If you ask one person how to do it, you're going to get their way. But I think it's one of those things that you can make it your own. Um, A lot of people will choose, you know, just plants that are going to grow in their area. You know, some people will focus on just the herbs and put that outside their kitchen. And maybe they have a little tiny um, statue of our Mary or a little terrarium inside and, and they can do that on their tabletop. But, you know, I think it's just one of those things that the point of it and the point of, you know, all these little holy reminders is that you make it your own and it's to draw your mind and heart you know, to heavenly things. And if you know, you're, you're never going to see the Mary garden. If you put it back behind a rose bush, but that's where the middle would be. You know, I wouldn't do that. I would put it where I would see um, the blessed mother and be reminded of her love um, for us and for her son and to be inspired by her virtues. You know, that's the the point of it is to uh, just to really draw our minds to heavenly things and, and whatever that looks like, you know, I would love to do, many different gardens and, you know, focus on, you know, this garden over here is the joyful mysteries and it has the, the flowers associated with that. And this one over here is the, the sorrowful mysteries. And we'll pray, pray the rosary, you know, on Fridays over here. But, you know, it's just one of those things that I think it could be anything. That's incredible. I, you know, I guess I never even thought that there would be flowers associated with the rosary mysteries and that would be a beautiful place to be able to pray the rosary then uh reflecting on those mysteries having those flowers and the aroma of the flowers surrounding you you also mentioned roses and that's a common image uh, associated with the blessed mother saint louis de montfort writes that you know every hail mary we pray is like giving mary a rose and placing it before her we know that in lourdes france our lady appeared with yellow roses on her feet so roses are associated with mary what's the significance there you know i think roses are like the queen of flowers and i i think we know that they speak many different languages i think you can do you know red roses obviously you know romance right that's what we first think of um and you know pink or or, i'm sorry yellow is typically like a congratulatory color there's this whole language of flowers out there that's just as um just as real as as the words on a page and i think you can look into the different colors and what those mean but roses in and of themselves they are in my opinion the most beautiful the most fragrant they're also you know some have thorns <laughs> right so it's um the thorns always call to mind the the thorns that um were around jesus's head the crown of thorns and you know mary you know in her beauty right and and her virtue how she still experiences you know the the thorns um and the pain that her son experienced and so yeah i just think they're the rose in and of itself it's where it's very much you know the marian name for roses is just mary's rose and i think it's kept simple because it's it's the queen of flowers and, and she's the queen of saints and it's just a beautiful reminder and of just where she is and where she should be in our hearts. 
And there's also this title in the Litany of Loretto, Rosa Mystica, and there's a, a whole devotion around that too, I think, surrounding a Marian apparition. I'm not too familiar with it. Maybe it's Italian-based, but anyways, yeah, so Rosa is really a, a prominent uh, flower, I think, especially as we think about the Blessed Mother. So this has been such a, a wonderful conversation, Nina, about A Garden for Mary, which is your children's book published by Tan Books, but also just the idea of planting a garden for Mary at our own homes, wherever, maybe volunteer at your church. Maybe you could put one there at your parish church to have flowers that call to mind the Blessed Mother. And what a great teaching moment uh, for the pastor, for others in the parish to, to really share the story behind these gardens for Mary. Do you know of other people beside yourself that do a garden for Mary? Uh, are there some people in your close circle? Um, yeah, well, we homeschool, so we have a lot of homeschool moms who are, you know, kind of practicing this devotion and, and trying it out. Again, it's it's make it your own. And I've also seen, you know, kids will make a craft of, you know, maybe plastic flowers, which isn't my favorite. But, but you know, sometimes it's we want that instant um, something to look at and something to see. So I've seen a lot of things, especially I think there's a whole reinvigoration towards liturgical living. And this really plays into that, you know, spring and and the resurrection and and flowers, you know, this all goes together in the church's wisdom with that whole liturgical calendar and and devotion of these traditions to Mary. And I just think that there's a, a lot of moms, a lot of grandmothers, a lot of a lot of everybody who are interested in this and and want to know more. And, you know, I was one of those people who didn't know anything about it, you know five years ago. So it's just funny to see how, see how these things grow. <laughs> Pardon the pun. Is this your first book that you've written? No, actually, this is my second book that's been published. Um, the first one was in the heart of the pandemic, which was great, but it was a, a message of hope. So I think it was totally providential for adults. It was a Christian contemporary romance novel called The Bird and the Bees. And um, it was a really a to Jesus through Mary kind of theme for, for that novel. And um, it's just kind of funny because my, my kids, they've obviously never read it. You know, it's, it's a, a novel and, and they're young, but they know the story and they laugh because it sounds a lot like my life. It's uh, about a nurse, which was my profession before I started working for the church, um, who meets and falls in love with a professional baseball player. And that's their dad, you know, I, I, my husband played in the Detroit Tigers system for seven years. And um, it's really, you know, that relationship and this Marian character who really draws her into relationship with the Lord and really, you know, it has a conversion experience. And so I have, you know, that relationship in, that's in a book, sort of. And um, then I have this other relationship, you know, which really spoke to my own conversion of this mother with two children, you know, as I was writing it, of course, I was imagining a mom with two little boys, but, but the illustrator really saw it as a mom with a, a little girl and a little boy, which I think speaks to the, to the story very well. But, um, you know, personal experiences really are, are what I tend to gravitate towards and write about and what speaks to my heart and what I can really put down on a page. 
Maybe one last question. You mentioned a bit earlier about beekeeping, that your beekeepers, you just mentioned your romance novel, The Birds and the Bees, which, of course, the bees play a factor there. Uh, tell us a little bit about beekeeping. What's it like? And do you find it as a spiritual exercise also? I think a lot of the saints um, spoke about beekeeping or wrote about beekeeping. And because it is such a spiritual experience, a lot of times, or if, if you have your mind <laughs> pardon me but if you have your mind right that's where that's where you tend to go with it and what you see with bees they're just this great example of of charity and and sacrifice you know they they work constantly for the the good of the community the good of their the whole family so to say and you know they literally fly and collect pollen and nectar until they fly their wings off you know they, their wings become so battered and torn from the wind and ex extreme circumstances you know they can fly up to three miles from the hive um it's just it's so amazing to see them and and watch them work together and then the fruit of their labor is just this amazing honey which is just so sweet and so to see that the the sacrifice that they give for one another and to have this sweet outcome is just it's, it's a beautiful thing I'm, Plus, it's a tasty thing. We we tend to love it, and we we make candles. And in the off season of beekeeping, I'm making beeswax candles, which uh, candles alone are just this beautiful uh, symbol of you know the light of the world. And uh, the the Catholic Church has a strong preference, and uh, to where you must use a beeswax candle. At the church, or at least it has to be 51 percent, so mostly beeswax, uh, just because of these principles and, and virtues of sacrifice that, you know, bring to mind our Lord and, and his sacrifice on the cross. Now, isn't there, I guess, some sort of like shortage of bees in the world or something like that? Oh, yeah. Yes. There's, um, well, you have to think about, you know, how much the world has changed in the last, you know, 100 years or 50 years. But beekeeping, you know, all farmers, all ag operates with a, the knowledge that there's a really good chance that they're going to lose about 33% of their yield. And for beekeeping, you know, it was when my grandfather was beekeeping, it was almost, you know, a, a shoe in. If you had a hive, you would have honey from it uh, in a year. And and now it's, if you have a hive, it's 50% chance, maybe more now within the past recent years that you're going to not even have that hive in a year. Not, not that you're not going to have honey, but you probably won't even have that hive and it's because we have things called varroa mites and hive beetles and, you know, probably pesticide sprays, um, things called neonicotinoids, which are, you know, in sprays now that are just devastating to hives and honeybees. And, you know, also a lack of foraging, you know, our concrete cities and, and big ag can really hurt bees because um, a pasture of green grass, you know, lacks flowers and forage for honeybees but you know i think there's been a, a along with liturgical living there of being a resurrection with that i think there's been a resurrection of homesteading and, and an interest in doing these old practices and bringing them back and learning how to do the things that our grandparents knew how to do and you know i've seen just a huge excitement for beekeeping in the last several years of young people and young families getting out there with their kids and, and learning about bees and, and how to tend them. And 
I'm really hopeful for the V's in the next, you know, 10 or so years that they're, they'll be on the bounce back, so to say. I know that there's always in the month of May around me or here in northeastern Wisconsin, there's been, you know, municipalities voting on this no mow May. So basically you don't mow your lawn during the month of May, allowing the bees to pollinate or to do whatever it is that that would assist and help them uh, during the month of May. I guess, too, I'm wondering, uh, have you ever been stung by bees? Do the bees sting their caretakers ever? (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, well, we just got a swarm, uh, which was uh, really amazing. The The other day, Bernadette, the illustrator, sent me a beautiful gift. It was a painting of St. Dominic. And the day that I got that framed and put it in our home, we caught the most amazing swarm of bees. And so in the springtime, this time of year in Kentucky, at least, um, bees, they, they split. Their hives will split uh, very naturally. It's a natural process of beekeeping and so forth but when there are too many bees in a hive they leave because in the winter they have to have numbers that are um what they can what they can feed and sustain right so when the hive gets too big they split and become two and so uh, that is essentially a swarm and we caught this huge swarm and we're out there with my my kids they get involved they get all suited up and, and do this and and my husband and I say they're the only girls in the world because honeybees, the workers are all females. And of course the queen, they're the only girls in the world or only ladies in the world that don't love my husband because he is always the one (laughs) that gets stung and, and he's just ready for it. And he's such a champ with it because I really was the one that got us into this, but, but it's a hard hobby not to love. And, and he's just a champ with all the stings, but yes, yes. (laughs) Even despite all the, the safety precautions and the gear and stuff like that, which, which we're pretty solid on, especially with the kids. I think one of the other things I've come to discover, and especially as kind of a seasonal allergy sufferer, is that honey is very helpful with that. If you eat local honey, you might even see your allergies begin to dissipate a little bit because it's introducing in a natural way, I think, or something, um, helping you to overcome uh, the allergies you might face. Uh, that's true. They, I mean, is argued. We'll say that. I believe it just because our kids don't uh, suffer from allergies, quite like other kids that I've noticed. But, um, and I, we don't tend to suffer that much ourselves, but we eat a pound of honey every two weeks and um, which makes us sound like Pooh Bear, I guess. But um, what it is, is you need to get local honey or what the, some people suggest is getting local honey from a beekeeper who lives within 30 miles of you. And so that's not always possible. There's not always a beekeeper that is within 30 miles, but the idea is that those bees from those hives are getting pollen and nectar from things that are blooming around you and the things that are irritating to you. And then by having a small dose of honey every day or, or frequently that you're getting a slow um, bit <laughs> introduced to your system to where it, when it revs up and allergy season is upon us that, you know, you've, it's not the first time your body's experienced it in a year, you know, that you've had this all throughout and it's not, it's not quite as devastating. I know that for myself, there was a time, just maybe two, three years, where I didn't get any sinus infections at all. And they tell me my sinus infections are based upon allergies and all this stuff, but I didn't have them for two years or so. 
And then I stopped the local honey consumption in my life or in my coffee, that is. And so I started getting the sinus infections again. So I really do believe that there might be a connection to all of this. Well, our our local priest here, he wants our honey. So I think there's <laughs> there's something to it. He believes in it, too. But, well, this has uh, been so- definitely good. Uh, this has been such a wonderful conversation. We went from Mary Gardens to uh, beekeeping, but I think that's something that probably fascinates people. You hear about some of these individuals who are beekeeping, and uh, I think getting a little glimpse into that from someone who does it is very insightful and interesting, uh, hopefully, to uh, listeners. So um, people can get a garden for Mary from Tan Books. If people want to learn more about you, how can they do that? Well, I'm on Facebook and Instagram, Nina Gaynor, and it's N-E-E-N-A-G-A-Y-N-O-R. And also I have a website, which is wordslikehoney.com. And it's, you know, based off that Proverbs 16:24. depends on the translation. It would be kind, gracious, or pleasant words are like honey, good for the soul and healing to the body. And so um, I blog pretty regularly there. I'm a columnist, um, writer, mom. <laughs> I'm just kind of writing about all those things all the time so would love to love to meet people there well wonderful it's so amazing to see kind of how you know one little aspect of your life beekeeping can really affect different things you've done whether it's writing a romance novel finding solace in those words of sacred scripture as you just quoted it making that the name of your website so these really have become integrated uh, holistically into your life and so how beautiful and uh, I encourage people to plant a garden for Mary and to read your book to your children or grandchildren during this month of May thanks so much for joining me today Nina and thank you so much for having me it's been a pleasure Thanks for listening to today's show. I hope that the conversation with our guest was one that was enriching for you as much as it was for me. I am so honored that you listen to How They Love Mary. And if you enjoy this podcast, I'd encourage you to rate it and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen so that others might begin to see this podcast show up as a recommended podcast for them. I look forward over the next 28 weeks of discussing the different figures from my new book, How They Love Mary, available from Sophia Institute Press. If you haven't gotten a copy yet, head on over to Sophia Institute and acquire your copy today or wherever you get Catholic books. Thanks so much for listening today. May God bless you today and Mary pray for you.